So it turns out this thing wasn't a fluke. I'm back. This is episode number two of the Wax Museum podcast, where I get to talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. I'm your host, Kyle, and I want to take some time this week to talk about something from the past in this episode. Um, Now, those of you that have interacted with me online or maybe even in person, which let's be honest, if we're talking about cards, it was probably online. You know that uh, seven years ago, I set out to do something pretty crazy. I decided that I wanted to take a vintage basketball set, which in this case was 1972 tops, and I wanted to try and get a signed copy of every card. Now, mind you, when I jumped into this thing, um, the history behind it's a little strange. I had seen the card ever since I was little. It came with this Kareem starting lineups figure. I had a copy of the Kareem card. So I had exposure to the set at a very young age. I started sending to some ABA guys in the mail around 2011. I saw some other people online doing a set. And so this, this set really stood out to me visually. So that's why I decided I wanted to do it. I didn't really think much about the logistics of it. I didn't think about how long it would take. I I just decided, you know what, I'm going to try it. So today I want to look at, kind of do a recap of my chase here over the last seven years, trying to get this whole set signed. I want to look at the logistics of it, the methods of getting it signed, some interesting encounters, some toughest SIGs, and my progress. Okay, so let's start with the logistics of the 1972-73 top set. Um, As I touched on in my past episode, basketball cards were just simply not very popular in the past. When I say the past, I mean the um, there was a set in the late 50s. There was a set in the early 60s. Every year of the 70s had a set. There were a few sets in the early 80s, and then it trailed off until the star sets and then Fleer in 1986. So that was kind of a recap. I talked about that in the last episode. Um, So basketball's popularity was not huge. In 1972, the set was actually split between the NBA and the ABA. If you think about that today, that would be kind of crazy. For those of you that aren't familiar with the ABA, it was a rival basketball league that was around for nine seasons. Uh, A lot of people considered it an inferior league, but in fact, we got the money ball from it. We got the slam dunk competition from it. Most importantly, in my opinion, we got the three-point shot from it. Without the three-point shot, imagine the game today. It changed spacing. It changed game strategy. It changed everything. So the ABA was a pretty big deal. Not only that, the ABA gave us a a pretty good roster of players in the long run. So um, in this set, there were 264 cards. Um, Cards 1 through 176 were NBA Cards 177 through 264 were ABA. You had just your actual base cards. You had league leaders, which contained three players on it apiece. When it comes to getting those signed, just going in, I decided if I can get one of the three players, I'm going to count that as signed. Obviously, I want to try and get more. There's one or two cards where I have all three guys, but if I can get one, I'm going to count it. Um, There were playoffs cards. And then your key cards in the set, um, the most iconic card, which would be a Virginia Squires card, is the Dr. J rookie. You have a Phil Jackson rookie, 
You have an Artis Gilmore rookie. You have a George McGinnis rookie. And then as with any vintage set, um, your Wilt Chamberlain cards and your Pete Maravich cards are um, have some sort of value to them. Okay. Um, another interesting thing that I want to talk about with this set before I talk about the actual logistics of getting things signed is that you'll notice some of the key cards like Wilt Chamberlain, Jerry West from certain teams, their jerseys are on backwards, which is, is very strange. Um, there are several theories for this. And in fact, there's a really good article on Sports Collector's Digest where they talk with a, a uh, tops photographer. And in general, um, in the late 60s, and headed into the early 70s, a lot of times Tops didn't want to pay the licensing fees to have team logos. So maybe they would just have a generic team name. Um, so a lot of times they wore it facing forward, just showing the uh, player's name. Sometimes they would hold a ball in front of them. Um, well, by the time 1972 came around, Tops determined that it must have been cost effective to pay for this agreement and to finally be able to show logos but there are still some players in 72 that had the backwards jerseys on. So some of the theories are that in 71, the, these pictures were probably from 71 where that deal wasn't in place. Or maybe the photographers hadn't caught wind of it yet, which is strange to think about. But you got to keep in mind, word doesn't travel as quick in this time, time frame. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have um, texting and all that stuff. Um, so... Those are some theories. Um, there are also some this idea that the the players didn't want to relinquish their licensing rights um, to the teams, so they didn't show the team logos. Either way, it kind of all goes together. The idea it all revolves around licensing rights. Okay, so that's a little bit about the seventy two seventy three set. I encourage you go and Google it. Um, take a look at some of the images. I'll try and put some on my Instagram as well. Uh, it's a very colorful set, though. Okay, it definitely sticks out when you look at it. Now, let's go to the methods of getting these cards signed. So, when I started a set like this, and I started sending the guys in late 2011, I think I officially committed to the set in 2012. When I started this, obviously a lot of guys had already died. So the only, you know, the only thing I could do at that point, obviously, you can't get signatures from the grave. So I had to go and purchase some of them. Um, PSA is ideal. I know people will say, well, PSA, you know, passes fake stuff. Yes, I'm sure that happens. I know we've seen instances of that happening before, but let's just be honest. It's the best we have. It's something that the market considers to be a professional opinion. So if there's a PSA slabbed card of a player that I need, unless for some reason I know it's being sold by a known forger, then I'm going to consider it um, legitimate. There are other cards that I've purchased that haven't been slabbed where just simply you compare it to in-person results. Um, you find a community online that maybe people are knowledgeable about the set and they can help you out with those autographs. So for me, it was sportscollectors.net. I think there's a $15 a year fee, but if you're sending stuff um, or if you're you're purchasing autographs, then that's a good place to go. Um, another option is going to be in person. Now, 
There's not a lot of places you're going to run into these players. The the thing I found the most, um, the few years that I did NBA autographs in person, there are a handful of players that work for radio. They work for TV. Um, I think I got Austin Carr that way. I got Clifford Ray. Um, Some of them that work for the teams as assistant coaches, Bob Weiss. Not all those guys are still working for teams, but at the time they were. Um, You'll also have people that will do the show circuits, or you can send them out to people on consignment. For instance, I got my Dr. J rookie signed by somebody that went to a golf tournament and got him to sign it. Okay, now the other option, which is something that I've done the most of, is um, you'll see it referred to online as TTM, which is through the mail. And this idea is that um, you'll find a player's address for obviously a player that's still alive. You'll send them um, send them your card as well as a return envelope that's already stamped and addressed. They call it a SACE, a self-addressed stamped envelope. And um, you got to go online to some of these websites. I think Star Tiger might even work. Sports Collector, um, Sports Card Forum. I don't. I used to use that way back in the day. Sports Collectors Net. They'll tell you if the guy has any fees or what the success rate is. So you can know before you send a card off how likely it is you're going to get it back. And then there's always the long shots that, you know, if you keep trying, you might get those. Okay. A lot of people will say when you get those back in the mail, well, how do you know they're real? It's just like the PSA stuff or just like buying online. You've got to compare it to other signatures. You've got to compare it to stuff that people have gotten themselves in person. Okay, so that's how I've gotten a lot of my cards signed. Um, I think my longest return was um, maybe 598 days for that set. I've had some baseball ones that were even longer than that. So you're looking at almost, um, you know, a couple of years there. Um, Okay, so let's talk about some of the interesting encounters that I've run into. This could be through the mail, this could be in person, this could be over the phone. I've had it all. What you find is when you're pursuing a set like this, some crazy things happen. And you've got to get really creative when you're trying to find some of these people. Um, Now, first off, there were just some really sobering encounters that I had. Um, I wrote to a couple of players in the mail, and then not long after I got cards back from them, Um, They died of cancer. That happened a couple times to me. I think one of them was Don Adams, and the other one was Bob Kaufman. I didn't even know they were sick. And it's kind of, um, it's really sobering when that happens, because even though you never knew this person, you've established a small connection to them. You've researched their address. You've read their stats on the back of the card. You tried to write a personal letter to them to basically convince them to sign for you, to convince them that you're a fan. Um, and, you've, and they've written, sometimes they write little notes back. So you've made that connection with them and it's kind of sobering. Um, another instance I ran into was a guy named Bob Christian who had a very short career with the Atlanta Hawks. And... I could tell that he probably didn't have a computer. He probably didn't have the internet. He wrote a note back to me. Basically, it said, hey, I've fallen out of touch with a lot of my former teammates. Can you update me on where they're at and what they're doing? Because he knew, obviously, I had his address. 
maybe I had some others as well. Well, he one of the players he asked about, Don Adams had just died from cancer. He asked about George Trapp. George Trapp was stabbed to death in 2002. And I think I wrote to Bob Christian maybe in 2015 or 2016. So it was just really sad. I mean, I was the one that ended up breaking the news to him when I wrote back to him. And I, I just started this whole thing just trying to get some signatures. And here I am now interacting with former players and keeping them up to date on other former players. And you find that, you know, you're part of this little network. It's it's something different. Um, other players you've got to really chase. So there was a guy um, that played at Ole Miss who people that watched him, you know, they say he was the greatest shooter that's ever gone through there. His name was Johnny Newman. And Johnny Newman had been overseas and coached. And Johnny Newman had fallen on some hard times, but people were trying to help him kind of get some things back together. So he was back at Ole Miss. And I found out um, through a friend that, that Johnny was back at Ole Miss. So I said, well, every student at Ole Miss has a student email. So I said, well, you know what? I'll email him. What's the worst that can happen? You know, he'll say no. So I got in touch with him, said, hey, you know, I'm a fan. I'm doing this project. I I tried to explain everything exactly as it was to him. And he said, sure, I'll sign for you. He gives me an address. Um, This was in like May of a couple years ago. So I send the cards off. Nothing happens. I email him back. He says, oh, no, you know, I never got them. Send again. So I purchase some more cards and send them off again. Except this time he gives me a different address. And then that one doesn't work. So I email him again and he never got it. And at that point, for some players, you just kind of have to throw in the towel and, and maybe look at other options. And a lot of why I write to players to begin with is to, to have that personal interaction with them. Well, whether the signature was successful or not, at this point I had the interaction with Johnny. I just went and bought one for, I think, 15 bucks. But I still have that story and that interaction with Johnny. Um, another one, I, I tracked down a guy named Charlie Yelverton, who after his career, he went, I think he played in Italy for, um, I don't, he had a pretty successful career in Italy after that. He's a musician now, he plays the saxophone Well, I found that his son had created a Facebook profile for his music. So I sent a message to his son, kind of explained, hey, you know, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to track down your father. If I sent you some cards, could you get them signed for me? He was super awesome. He was accommodating. Um, And, you know, I try and take care of people when they do this for me as well. So over there, it it was hard. I think they were in Italy. It was hard for them to get Charlie Yelverton cards. So I got some extras for him and told him that they could keep them. Um, and they were super nice to me. And it was just an interesting learning process because then I, you know, now I knew how to mail cards to Italy. Not that it's all that difficult, but it's not something I'd ever really gone about doing before. So now I had that experience. Um, now let's talk about. A couple of the, I'll give you one funny story that I have and one very, very strange story. One of the strangest encounters I've ever had. Um, the funny story 
um, back around, I believe it was 20, I want to say 2012, the 2012-2013 season. It was one of my bucket list items to have NBA season tickets. And at the time, I wasn't, I didn't have a great job. You know, I wasn't really making much of anything. But it just so happened that it was kind of the perfect storm for me where I lived in an NBA city. I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina for several years. I had, I was pretty easy access to the stadium. I could get on the blue line and ride right downtown. Didn't have to worry about parking. And, oh, by the way, the Bobcats were, percentage-wise, this is coming off of a lockout season, percentage-wise had the worst um, record in NBA history. So they were running a promo that depending on what pick they get in the draft. They were guaranteed somewhere between one and four. All you had to do was commit to paying that dollar amount per game for your season tickets. So for instance, if they got the number one pick, um, there were 41 home games, you would pay $41 per seat. If they got two, it would be 82 and so on. So um, I said, well, yeah, you know, the worst that could happen is I still get a, I, I signed up for two, you know, even if it's $4, it's going to be what, like $164. Um, yeah, I, I would definitely do that for NBA season tickets, even though they weren't great seats, you know, they weren't bad. So the Bobcats ended up getting the second pick that year. And so I got NBA tickets for super cheap. Um, I, my whole season was like 160 bucks, something like that, and for two tickets. And um, I sold my Lakers tickets for 150. I sold my Thunder tickets for 90. So my season was already paid for at that point. So um, another thing I was excited about was that Paul Silas was the coach of the Bobcats at this time, and I needed him in my 1972 set. So I thought, oh, this is great. You know, I'm going to run into, I got to run into him at some point this year. Well, I don't know, you know, I can't speak for every arena, but running into the home coach at an arena is, was not easy here in Charlotte. You can always get the away coaches boarding the bus at the hotel or whatever, but the, the home coach was not easy. So I had a buddy that, he was also a season ticket holder. He had... Um, access to his ticket rep was going to let him get the team's autographs in the tunnel after the game or un- by outside of the locker room. I don't. They took us down in some freight elevator, so I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. Um, so I was pretty excited about it, but as I was watching this game, Paul Silas gets ejected, and I was just devastated. What am I going to do? I'm not going to get this guy on my set now. This is my only opportunity. So, anyway, they took us down in this freight elevator. You know, Jordan and his entourage, remember he owned the Bobcats, they they were like 30 yards from us walking. We couldn't get close to him, but I did see him. And uh, people start coming out, and Paul Silas comes out. And we were shocked, you know. We thought, oh, he's not going to come out. He was all smiles. He signed the card for us. Um, somebody said, hey, what did you say? And I'm going to censor it a little bit for the purpose of the podcast, but basically he called the ref a name that you shouldn't call a ref, and he was laughing about it, and it ended up being a great experience, 
And I breathed a sigh of relief because I, I really wanted to get that card signed. You know, I could have bought it, but I wanted to get it signed myself and have that experience. And I got a picture with them. Um, so it's just strange how all of that came about. You know, you never know when you're chasing something like this. Before that, I wouldn't really have cared all that much for Paul Silas. So that, that gave me a, a new little adventure to go on. Now, a really strange story. There was a guy that played for the Utah Stars, and his name was James Jones. And I was trying to get in touch with him, and I finally got a hold of a guy out in Vegas who said he was an agent. I think he was also like a golfing buddy of a lot of athletes out there, including Pete Rose. So I asked him, you know, well, what, what's your list of basketball players? James Jones was on that list. I was trying to set up a signing it just wasn't working out. He wanted me to send in 25 items at $15 a piece. And I'm thinking this, you know, I just want my one card signed. So finally, um, I ended up finding James Jones, even though he, he I'd been connected through this agent, I ended up finding that James Jones sold Amway, which for those of you that aren't aware of it, Amway is like, um, it's kind of like Melaleuca where they, they sell products and you sign people up and try and get them to sell products I don't know you know some people have called it a pyramid scheme I don't know you know I have not looked into it I don't want to give it that stigma anyway he's selling products so I find his phone number on his selling profile and I call him up and I explain to him my situation well once again he didn't really want to do an autograph signing so which you know I probably would have paid him 15 or 20 bucks at least to sign this card but I finally convinced him after talking with him for a while. We talked about all different things. We talked about Willie Wise, all these different players of the past. I said, what if I bought something from your Amway page? And so he agreed. So I, I go on this Amway page and I'm looking for the cheapest thing I can find. The cheapest thing I can find is like a spray nozzle for like a bottle of cleaner. And I thought, well, that's not very practical let me at least try and find something practical so instead of me paying 15 or 20 dollars directly to this player i ended up buying and this is the name of it the legacy of clean bathroom cleaner at five dollars and thirty cents plus seven dollars shipping and i sent my card off and i got my bottle of bathroom cleaner and i got my card signed and i have a really strange story in the process got to talk to the player on the phone so that was interesting okay so now now i want to get to the toughest sigs um, toughest signatures um now obviously the whole amway thing that was pretty tough in itself but there are i'm talking just overall the toughest people in this set um what makes this people what makes this set tough um a lot of people the mistake they make is that they will mistake high profile to mean tough most of the big name cards are out there. They just have a price. You got to keep in mind, Wilt Chamberlain died in 1999. He had, you know, 27 years to sign these cards. Pete Maravich died in 1988. He had 16 years to sign these cards. And I've seen five or six Maraviches out there. They're not cheap, but they're attainable. The real tough guys that we're talking about here is, um, number one, a guy named Wendell Ladner who died in 1975 in a um, airplane crash. In fact, they identified him by his Kentucky Colonel, I believe it was Kentucky Colonels. 
championship ring. Actually, it might have been a Nets championship ring at that time. I think the Colonels won later. Um, so they identified him by his championship ring. Uh, fun fact, he was also the inspiration. He was quite the ladies' man. He was also the inspiration for the Will Ferrell poster for the movie Semi-Pro where he's laying on the locker room bench with a ball covering his midsection. That was Wendell Ladner. Um, we had another guy named Pete Cross who died in either 1977 or 1978. I believe it was January of 78. He had epilepsy. And then you had a guy named John Brisker. Who John Brisker was a, a pretty wild character. He was known to have guns in the locker room. He established this reputation for fighting, even so much so to where the Anaheim Amigos, he was on their team, and on the cover of their program, he was in cowboy gear, he had his stirrups, he had everything, and he had the two pistols. So this was a kind of a fiery guy. Well, somehow he, after playing, this is in the late 70s, he ended up as a, some type of mercenary in Uganda, I guess, and... Basically, he was never seen again. Now, he was legally declared dead in 1985, but nobody had seen him quite a while before that. So, And I actually have a PSA slabbed card of John Brisker. Who got it signed? I don't know how they get it signed. I don't know. But I, I think that's got to be the toughest one. Now, that leads me finally to the last stage here, where I want to talk about my progress. I There are 264 cards in this set. I have four cards left, which it's strange. You'd think it would be the guys like Brisker and Pete Cross and Ladner that I don't have. I have all of those. I don't have Flynn Robinson, who died in 2013. Okay, so basically, no one was getting these cards signed. He had plenty of time to sign them. No one was getting them signed. I'm sure they're out there. I don't have one. You have Jimmy Walker. Um, not not dynamite Jimmy Walker, but basketball Jimmy Walker died in 2007. Interesting fact was Jalen Rose's father, although they never actually met one another. You have uh, Pacers legend and Hall of Famer Roger Brown, who died in 1997 to cancer. He I, I've seen several copies of this card signed, but the people who had them, a lot of them got them in person at Market Square Arena in Indianapolis. They don't want to give them up. And then I have Willie Sojourner, who died in 2005. Um, he took a coaching job around that time in Italy. He died in a car crash shortly after. Okay, so that so far is, I'm not done yet, but that's my experience in set collecting. Um, you might ask yourself here at the end, is it worth it? My answer is, um, depends on what you're looking to get out of it. You'll probably never make your money back, um, but the experience these last seven years has been incredible. I've learned so much about basketball. I've learned so much about personalities. I've interacted with these guys. Um, I've met a lot of collectors in the process, and it's just been a lot of fun. So it's just, if it's ever something you're considering, at least look at the logistics and at least give it some serious consideration. This is the Wax Museum Podcast. If you want to get updates from me, you can check out my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast. Until next time, this is Kyle signing off.